Welcome to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, candid conversations of some chatty tratties. My name is Chris. I'm Matt. I'm Ann. And we wanted to uh, introduce this podcast uh, to you. We've been thinking a lot about doing a podcast. Uh, I especially have been. And so we wanted to simply share with you our experience. We're a bunch of young Catholic guys. I'm married. These guys are stupendously single. Thanks. And... Uh, but I mean, our experience as young young Catholics who um, may have even grown up in the in the Novus Ordo, but have shall we say converted to the more traditional side of Catholicism, made our way into the traditional <clears throat> yeah. arm of Catholicism. And now all we do is talk about bishop sucks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, we 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 are a bunch of liturgical nerds. That is really true about us that was the reason why we wanted to start this podcast and uh it's something that is important because in the in the podcasting world at least it seems that there's not a lot of young more traditionally minded catholic guys who are sharing their experience of of the faith i mean you do have men like dr taylor marshall who of so course dreamy <laughs> <laughs> who we do uh i mean he doesn't say the the most perfect thing all the time and that's something that we can that we're actually going to talk about today um but there there's not a whole lot of others so to begin guys i wanted to ask you a softball question is cereal soup oh shut up are you kidding me this is the question <laughs> cereal is not a soup it's a it's like a breakfast grain and we're not talking about this anymore no, cereal is not a soup how soups by definition no, 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 soups no. by definition wait wait they... don't fall into the trap he needs to tell us why he thinks cereal yeah, is yeah, a soup yeah, yeah. it's true why st thomas cereal? would ask you to look. cereal is a soup in because of the fact uh that it is you can have grainy soups i did look this up at Wikipedia. Like a wild race soup? I don't know what it's called. I mean, maybe. But, I mean, technically, yeah. I mean, that's a good point. You could have rice soup, and a rice is a grain. Right? It's tec- wild race is technically a seed. Oh, okay. All grains are seeds. That's not true. Is that not true? What's oats? What's wheat? Well, they're cereals. Aaron has just poured himself his first whiskey of the night. Listen, the reason I think soup by definition, even if it's cold, it had to have been, you know, it cooked together. Things had time to melt flavors and then you chill it. Nobody. I mean, don't don't cave to the raw vegans here. Whatever they make in their Vitamix is not a soup. Okay. That's a smoothie. I don't. OK, that's fair. OK. Is ketchup a smoothie? Well, ketchup, botanically speaking, is a berry. So, yes, ketchup is a smoothie with you, vinegar in it. Do you agree with that? So ketchup is a condiment. It's not soup tr- is a liquid dish typically made by boiling meat, fish, or vegetables in stock or water. It's a, to get last? back to your point, ketchup is a condiment because you, unless you, unless there's some winner out there that drinks slurps up cups of ketchup through a straw. I'm sure, there is. It's not being treated. You ever see as those weird movie. like my weird addiction or whatever it is? Like people who eat like plaster off of walls and <laughs> stuff like that, and they dig it. You mean pregnant woman? Well, I mean, do they? Well, I think so. <laughs> Don't they? They get like dirt addictions or cravings. Well, they I, get. I know they crave ice. I, that's one thing. I think that's a misuse of ketchup if you're drinking it as a smoothie. Yeah, it's not. It's not the normative mm. use of ketchup. Therefore, yeah. some things defile the the smoothie cup. Okay, 
Something's defiled this movie, Kyle. Yeah. Just like, but the, the, the not, marriage. Nothing defiled. Nothing defiles the marriage. Oh, yeah. Theology of the body. Huh? Okay. Yeah. So, wait, but does, what if you put ketchup on the marriage bed? It's not. <laughs> it's a really good. You'd have to ask Christopher West. <laughs> I don't know. You'd have to. When, when he gets back to you, please let us know. I'm sure everyone's waiting with bated breath. <laughs> to hear the answer to that question okay. all right well um all right i'll have more of these questions later on in, uh, in maybe future podcasts i'm holding I'm, I'm i'm holding a few back that i i do wish to, to talk more about that the next thing i wanted to ask you guys about in particular so recently i've kind of been questioning and wondering your thoughts about one one of the kind of i guess critiques you know you hear of like you know, Pope Francis kind of has, has kind of <laughs> not air quotes. Um, we're not getting into that argument, but the, um, not right now. I'm not going to shut you down. I'm not Steve Skocek or whatever. Thank you. You're welcome. I, I, your, your, your concerns are valid. No, the, the, one of the, the, I guess you could say attacks that are brought against, especially traditional Catholics is that, the communities are more turned inwards on themselves, that the people are more neurotic and focused, you know, self-focused. They aren't really committed to things like evangelization and, you know, opening wide the doors uh, to try to, you know, <laughs> quote unquote, build bridges to people who are perhaps on the quote unquote peripheries. Would you say that that, that kind of accusation is true? Or what has been your experience? Now, I, I bring this question up because I have, a, I have a real life experience. When I went to the Latin Mass, I went for weeks without being talked to. You, you have Matt, a, you went, have, you have a ponytail. Yeah. I think the, the, the people cannot see that. You have a ponytail. Yeah, but that, like, but I fit right in with the Eastern, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I'm asked to be <clears> like priesthood every time I go into an Eastern, right? I think, like, is, do, do you want to feel this one? I have. No, I think in a lot of ways it, it is true what you said. A lot of those criticisms are true. I think it's made difficult. And, yeah, uh, some of the most neurotic people I've ever met have actually been at Latin Mass parishes or, in particular, Latin Mass online communities. Mm -hmm. uh, I, don't need to, I don't need to name <laughs> names. But um, part of the problem with that and, and, like, the evangelization outreach, well, you know, part of the problem with traditional communities is we've seen the faith for what it really is. Like, like one of my f favorite bloggers, Hillary White, had this post about how, you know, you've cleaned off the dirt, lifted up the, the old carpet and the floorboards, and you've seen the treasure that's buried there. And you, you can't go back to what it was before. And you, I mean, you look around at parishes in your town, and it's, it's almost a different religion. So how do you, like, how do you convert people to, all right, you need to come to the Catholic faith. And like, oh, okay, I'll go to the parish down the street. And then you have to follow up and explain to them, okay, yeah, that is Catholicism, but it's not at yeah. the same time. I mean, it just adds a whole layer of complexity that, you know, it's it's really hard to deal with. I'm not saying that should paralyze us to inaction, mm -hmm. but that is a, a huge problem. Mm -hmm. You know, like, there's a lot of just practical reasons why Latin masters are all jerks. Like, I'm a big proponent. I think Latin masters are the biggest jerks in the world. 
because they claim to have the you know the best of Catholicism, which is the one true religion. Yet they never really act like they do. But on the other hand, when you got to go to mass at one thirty every Sunday and you're tired and grumpy because you're trying to do the three hour fast, and and you know your diocese hates you, or like in different communities all have seem to have different diocesan problems. Like you get this like ingrained bitterness, which is really hard to defeat too, right? So I think that just comes out at the masses with new people, like people. Yeah, people, like, they're just kind of embittered. And then also, I noticed at the Latin Mass, people, like, they just love going to the Mass. They don't really care about the people. Like, we all, like, we have coffee Sundays and whatnot, but people just prefer, they go for the Mass. They're there for a reason. They don't need anything else. So, like, if they could go in and out, they don't need to socialize. That, that That's not going to make their Sunday any better or worse. But, so, like, so people coming to a community, coming from a community where they're used to socializing, no one really needs the feel, needs the feels the need to do that at the Latin Mass. Mm-hmm. Would you say that that experience is detrimental, though, to the cause of the Latin Mass in terms of you know? I mean, we want to see. I mean, obviously, we want to see greater numbers return to a more um, the more you know full experience of of what it means to be catholic and we know that that starts really at the liturgical level um but i mean do you like how you know how do we how do we get more people there if we're not i don't think evangelistic? like i think because at the novus ordo original sin is for the most part it seems to be done away with or any kind of sin whatsoever so, like, whenever, for instance, like, I get my recruitment call from the Knights of Columbus asking why I'm not at the meetings, and I'm like, oh, I actually moved parishes, but I don't actually have a parish because I'm at the Latin Mass. I'm at the Latin Mass. And there's no curiosity. And, like, they just don't care. In fact, they find it, like, hostile or something because I usually get hung up on right away. Or any, like, Novus Ordo Catholic who doesn't know anything about the Latin Mass, they just, they, like, they, there's just no curiosity. So, like, we, we could just try to go out and bring people in, but no one seems to care in, on, in the Catholic side. Now, like, non-Catholics, I find they have a pretty good response to the Latin Mass. Like, they seem to love it. It's intriguing to them, right? It's a, it's a whole different experience of the faith. You know, like, I was talking with a, a buddy of mine who, um, he's a, he's, he considered, he's considered, like, an evangelical... Mennonite, I think that's what he would be referred Whoa. to as. Yeah, sounds like a contradiction in terms. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, but you know, he he was telling me the other day, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he was said saying that he had gone to an Orthodox church, you know, and and I mean that kind of traditional expression of worship to him is intriguing. You know, he doesn't seem like he's ready to to cross the Tiber, but just that kind of more liturgical and mystical experience of the faith. I mean, it, I mean, anybody, anybody with a brain and, and eyes and whatnot can see when they go into a Orthodox church, for example, you know, you've got, you're surrounded by icons, you're surrounded by the beauty of, of, you know, the iconostasis, all of that. And, you know, and then they say they go back to their their regular evangelical Mennonite church the next week, and it's a stage, maybe some unfinished wood on the back, 
maybe a nice projector screen, some neat lights, and a microphone. You know, there's not a whole there. There's a big, vast difference there in the expressions of the faith. One, one I would say inspires a sense of awe and wonder, and mystery. the other, yeah, and mystery, you absolutely. Um, and I think you know, Protestants especially are probably drawn to that. Um, but would you say that Catholics have become Catholics are the most hostile to the Latin Mass? And would you say it's because they're desensitized? Because of their experience, I mean, for us it's different, right? Like, like you hear like the 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 accusations fired at us all the time of like, you know, oh well, there's you know, they're they're just they, they're nostalgic. They just want these things. It's like, and and the majority, not maybe not the majority, but a lot of people who go to the Latin Mass are young. My first experience with the Latin Mass, I came away so angry. Probably like the fourth angriest I've ever been in my life. I'm not really even sure why to this day I was so angry, but. I just remember a lot of anger. So if everyone else has a similar experience, they just come away probably very emotional and angry for, you know, it's so different, but it's supposed to be the same. It doesn't make any sense. It's very, like, confusing. It's probably easier to just go back to your weekly notes or a mess. Well, I thought you, part of your frustration was, wasn't it kind of seeing what had been taken away from us? I think maybe I could kind of retroactively put that on oh, so but at the time i had absolutely no idea i was just remember being so angry like i i don't know and actually i had vowed to never go back to the latin mass after going three or four times and here i am like yeah you know, yeah every week so yeah honestly it's an expression it's a totally different expression of the faith and this is part of the problem I have with calling them the ordinary and extraordinary form because they're so different. Mm-hmm. Like they're different rites at that. There, there's much more in common with, you know, some of the other ancient rites of the mass than there is between the Latin mass and the mass of Paul VI. And the, I think recognizing that, you know, that, that difference is the first thing somebody runs into. And I'm, I'm not saying our Lord's not present at the Novus Ordo. Of course he is. We can talk about, uh, well, some of the ideas we've come up with as a traditional group later related to that. But um, the traditional faith demands a lot of you. It like does. it, it um, you know, it demands such a, a verticality to your worship. Um, I think there's a lot of, as much as trads may turn in on their community of them, of, you know, amongst themselves. I think in Novus Ordo, worship gets turned into yourself as well, individually. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, very jarring to go to an experience of the faith where it's not about you. It's, it's totally about God. And actually, I mean, you know, Misa Cantata or, you know, more recent expressions of the high mass aside, um, the lady don't even have to really say or do anything in particular. It's not expected of them. And our participation Although it certainly adds grace to our lives, and um, we can pro- we can call down graces for other people, we don't add anything to the sacrifice, and and that's the experience of almost a totally different faith for a lot of Catholics. I don't know if they see it at a conscious level the first time they go there, but you know, I think it is something that people intuit more than they like to let on that like mm-hmm. they're not needed. Yeah. That's Oklahoma, the Benedictine Monastery at Clear Creek. When I went there, I was, even I was very frustrated. It's just like you could, like, if you weren't there, they wouldn't care in the slightest the entire time. It was almost like a little frustrating. It's just like, why am I here then? So, it's either become a monk or get out kind of thing. So, 
Yeah, no, I for me, my experience, you know, when I first experienced the Latin Mass, I was down in the States. I was, you know, and I wasn't in a good, I, I really wasn't at that point in a good, good space in my faith. Like my, you know, I had experienced a lot of wounds from, you know, from a priest who had been a real, a real Jake. piece of work. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, I was really confused about things. And rapping responsorial songs. Were you? Well, yeah. <laughs> don't bring that up. <laughs> That's a topic for another podcast. But no, the thing was like I I was at this point so frustrated with that experience and then going to the mass, the local mass or whatever, and I it seemed so disconnected from what I had learned of my study of the faith you know, of the writings of the saints and things like that. And it was confusing, you know, and, and I'm blessed. It's it's interesting because like I grew up with in, in a very interesting kind of scenario because all of my family are converts. I'm the first, uh, I'm the first born Catholic of the family. And, you know, but oddly enough, even though I was kind of born and raised within the, the Catholic charismatic renewal, uh, my mom had always had a, strong drive for the traditional Catholic faith. Obviously, she didn't have access to it, sadly. Um, I think if she had, that's where she would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she just kind of went where she could try to be fed the most and, and, and receive the faith, the, you know, the best with where she was. But that being said, you know, when growing up in my home, we had very traditional old Catholic books, old Catholic missiles, just sitting in the bookshelves, you know, and, yeah, as a kid, you're what going of, through what those kind of books. Are you thinking about like 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 old Catholic missals and um, like you know things like This is the Mass by Fulton Sheen. Oh, cool. You know, thing things like that that just kind of were there. Obviously, you know, Carmelite books too. But yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I had these things where there you know these books where there was these pictures of a mass I didn't know. Hmm. You know, and I, I'm I'm a highly visual guy. Art is important to me. Um, I do love it. And as a kid, I would see these pictures. I go, "What is this?" You'd, you'd read the the little description. This is what a this is what an aspergillum is. And all these things, and you're like, "Oh, interesting." You know, this is neat. But again, seeing the the mass with the the priest, you know, saying mass ad orientum, and the altar servers, you know, they're you know lifting up the chasuble in the back, you know. Like, what is that? Why does that even matter? You know, um, but it intrigued me. It was uh, it was kind of like a little seed that had been planted. So all those years later, when I'm away in the states at a music festival, I said, "Okay, you know what? Let's." There's a Latin mass here. I've never been. Let's check it out. And that was a, a key moment for me of actually my faith kind of reigniting. In a, in a big way. Those, you know, the wounds that had been inflicted by, by the hypocrisy of, hypocrisy of priests and, and lay people, the confusion caused by the, the disconnect in the liturgy from actual doctrine kind of all came back. And, 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 and you could see that the Latin Mass, the doctrine of the faith, lined up with practice. You know, it's like, this is Jesus. This is a sacrifice. We believe it. And this mass actually shows it. And, and I, I guess I left from that mass 
also angry, but also, I guess you could say in love because it was kind of like, like I saw a very beautiful girl and I couldn't get her off my mind. Like I had to go back again the next time I had an opportunity. You laugh at that. You laugh at that, but I'm the only one here with a, with a spouse. Was that, was that, was that the Julie? Was that Julie? That he came, that drew you back to the Latin mess? It was a metaphor. It was a metaphor. Oh. It's like he had. It was whoops. like I saw the Whoops, missed it. Okay, Suppose it was a simile at that point. Oh yeah. dear, I'm sorry. Hey, but another thing too, same kind of thing. Uh, you're like reading of books as a child. Uh, Saint Faustina, like her diary, like I could see the same mass that she mm. heard. And like even some of the things she said didn't make any sense. Oh yeah, that's what I've told you guys a million times. What like clinched me at the Latin mass was confessions on sunday because divine mercy sunday our lord said go to confession on divine mercy sunday and the latin mass was the only place that actually had available confessions so that's where i went all because of saint Faustina, the most like modern saint that you can imagine and i can't even hear her mass in the old form because there's no such thing it's very frustrating so no so that that was my question so i mean for me like i i understand that our communities kind of suck at evangelization they do but at the same time, like... We have me, the best coffee Sundays I've ever been to. I've never been more, like, jolly, put it that way. We've had, like... Have you ever been to a better coffee Sunday at a Novus Order? Like, never, but I've never been to a coffee Sunday where there's whiskey poured. Quite so much whiskey. Well, yeah. But or, like, or pizza. But you know, when no, was the last time you had somebody bring in Domino's even, at a coffee even, Sunday? Even, like, the first, the first, like, potluck Sunday that I went to at the Latin Mass, that was in Kinkora. Oh, my goodness. They had a school gym filled. I was, like mm-hmm. it was amazing, and like it was vi- like people like actually wanted to be there. That's what I thought because I had been going to like my. What Nova else are they gonna do in Kinkora? Yeah, shut up. <laughs> but well, like it's just but they want you know I guess but you know when you go to your Knights of Columbus fish fry you're like oh my goodness I'm basically just doing this to give them my five dollars and then get the hell out of here as quick yeah. as possible. Whereas like this like people stayed. It was cool. I watched a kid fall down a set of stairs it was funny he was one of like nine he was homeschooled it was great really? yeah That's he's nice. an altar boy now so he was skipping on a stage and he fell <laughs> and he got up he was fine <laughs> so when the parents aren't looking yeah, they it they probably won't cry. No, like, yeah, that's we just set him right up. I remember that was with the like, cat Leanne. And she just set him up when we joked about how tough Latin mass boys were. So it's true. It's true. Time. We do have a, but that's the thing. We do have a good, a decent com- community. I think at our Latin mass. I, I mean, like I've been to multiple different. Latin it's hard masses. to break into any Latin mass community. They're very, but like once you get in, it's good. Yeah. Only took me four years. It took Matt four years. We've been going oh to the same mass, and I like, I yeah. He shows up in the freaking sacristy one day asking for some question. I was asking if there are any Easter masses around. Any Easter masses? True around. to him. And like, who who are you? Who are you? <laughs> and oh, I've been here for two years. So yeah, yeah. But then, but then once you once you kind of came out of your shell, that was shortly after that that we started hanging out. That's true. And now yeah. Matt is our candle. Maker for the mass, that's yeah. true. And he's our he's a butcher, the baker, butcher, yeah. baker, whiskey maker. He just yeah. does it all. <laughs> yeah, part of that is uh, soap maker. He makes soap. I'm, I'm sure people listening will, will gradually start to understand Aaron's quirky personality. And uh, go on, he he makes events happen at our mass. So oh, it turns out I had just started. I tried to talk to the wrong people. You know, I don't know what the odds of that would be, but I think the four or five people I chose to spoke to were the four or five you shouldn't 
first speak to. Yeah, we can do podcasts. Yeah, I mean, for whatever reason. Um, so I just gave up after that. And uh, yeah. Do you, think, do you think there's an archetype of that in every community? Like there's there's groups of people that you just should not interact with. I mean, coming back to that neurotic comment about, you know, every the, community kind of has their, the Latin their neurotic people. draws some weird people to it. Yeah. But like, and you know, and it draws wounded people to it for a lot of reasons. I think... Scandalized people. Scandalized sure. people, but yeah, I... Yeah, there's something there. I can't really unfold it. Could it be God's grace? Yeah, could be God's grace. Is that scary, though? I feel like I don't want to get all elitist saying that, like, oh, God's grace drew you to a higher form of mass than other people. Like, I get worried when I say that, but on the other hand, definitely seems true. So. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Yeah, that, that was, like, for me, my experience, especially when I first started going regularly, it was when we were stuck at a high school chapel, um, it was hot. Yeah, it was an interesting. It was an was interesting hot. spot, and I didn't really talk to anybody. And and even our even at that point, hilariously, I didn't even know this. At that point, the the cantor who was there, he and I, like a year previously, had a little spat on Facebook, and I deleted him <laughs> off of Facebook. Um, he gets deleted out of everybody's face. That's <laughs> <laughs> not your fault. That's his fault. <laughs> Maybe we'll have him on the podcast. Yeah. Like, oh, that'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. So, yeah that that was that was my question. So I guess my I guess the the question I wanted to ask to kind of cap, cap off that part was, do you think there is a way that we can do better? And I guess my I would lead into that question with, in my opinion. I think as a church, currently in the, especially the Novus Ordo side of things, I think we spend a hell of a lot of time asking the question, how do we make the quote-unquote Sunday experience better? And so you hear a lot of things like you hear about the rebuilt movement, which is scary. You hear about the amazing parish conference. You hear about uh, I can't remember what his name is. Divine hey. Divine Renovation. The guy. I've never there. heard of any of those other except Rebuilt. What was Rebuilt? I actually have that book. I threw it out though. Yeah. Well, should I have thrown it out? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even the guys on Catching Foxes who are you know very much more Novus Ordo Catholics, um, even they were like the Rebuilt model is problematic. And really? yeah. Um, and so, it, like, why do all our churches just like they love to do anything except return to tradition? Well, that's the thing. And here's and here's my question. I mean, we're so focused on on pretending we're Protestants, especially in the Novus Ordo, right? We're so focused on that. But in my opinion, the glaring the the biggest like, glaring difference, I guess I would say, between a Catholic parish and a Protestant parish, besides the obvious, is the fact that. Sunday is not the only thing. I mean, they have a church service on a Sunday, but you see a lot of them show up on a Wednesday and they spend time together. You know, you hear about Bible studies, different community mm -hmm. groups, different outreaches that they do, um, different ministries. But I mean, they do it kind of as a whole. You know, I don't like Bible studies. I don't care. Like, can we just get drunk and play cards? Though, no, like, but, why can't we do that? No, too, but right? I, like, I agree with that. But I'm saying, right. like, institutionally. I'm yeah. saying, like, as a, as a parish, 
I think we don't have the. Priest I think power, there's. Right? I think like, there's a institutionally you need a priest to head that. But see, right? that's, they don't do that. But that's the thing. I think we do a terrible disservice to, you know. And again, I think we, you know, in the one thing that Vatican II kind of encouraged was more lay involvement. Mm-hmm. If we look at it in a healthy way, we can see that we don't need the priest's permission to. You can do what we're doing tonight. Like, yeah, we don't yeah. need the priest's permission to start a school of cantorum. Well, just like a, op, like most Novus Ordo lay involvement just includes like hiring a pastoral minister to get like RCIA numbers up. It has nothing yeah. to do with like I guess they sh- they should focus on catering to the people they have, not the people who they don't have, because they're never gonna get those people anyway. Yeah, they should just make things more awesome for like let's get together, let's have a fun time. You know, it's it's a shame that everything church related has to be so like awful to do and yeah it would be nice to just get drunk and play cards and not actually get drunk has the sin but just drink you know three or four drinks and play cards. <laughs> well yeah like I, I feel like that's the thing that we we do a terrible job at, at looking outside of the sunday experience i think we get so myopic and we say okay well like these parishes will go okay well we gotta make sure we've got all these crazy ministries and make sure everybody feels included and we gotta do all this thing and they get so frantic about it they get so nuts but the thing is that like at the end of the day the they're i mean are you organizing the london latin mask euchre tournament monthly is that what you're saying i don't know how to play euchre but i'm just saying like we need to do something that's you know I mean, yeah. these parishes need to start thinking you, outside talking, of the Sunday. Yeah, box. Are you, but you're talking like catechesis, like stuff. I'm too, talking catechesis. I'm we talking, could ring a bell and and teach poor children. I'm yeah. talking all of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, say, I'm saying I'm like like we we do a terrible job at the uh, everything else. It requires holiness. That's what we don't have. Well, <laughs> and I mean, like you said, priest power. Like we're unfortunately in a clustered parish, even though we're not really part of that. But our priest is divided over. A lot three, of different sites. Um, but then you look at something, I mean, a good model of what you guys were just talking about is St. Joseph Oratory in Detroit. Oh. I mean, they have they have w- weekly, at least, catechesis. They have book clubs. They have altar boy days. They have now, in preparation for the upcoming Feast of the Immaculate Conception, they oh, have morning recollections. Altar with, boy days? Like, yeah, as soon as you add altar girls, it ruins it. I've done it. I've, I've headed both altar boys and, like, an altar mix, altar server. Altar boys are so fun. Those boys, like, don't have altar girls. We need to cut that. That needs to be gone. But, yeah. And you know what? I mean, I know they're only at that parish, but that's only two of them. Like, two canons running yeah, all these true. events. Like they're, But their lives are kind of dedicated to that aspect of fostering parish life, really. That's true. Yeah, what we're talking about, just so those who are listening are aware, we're talking about St. Joseph's Oratory. It's a, a parish run by the Institute of Christ the King. Um, sovereign priest, and they're in Detroit, Michigan. If you haven't gone, you should go. Absolutely, every be, day, beware, every day. Of, beware of the pews. Oh, they horrible. Oh, and they're, find the the the, the, st- the secret <laughs> this, this, stained glass, the stained glass lamb that looks like a face. It looks really creepy. Yeah, yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. But yeah, do 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 visit that place for sure. But I mean, another don't, don't go to Assumption Grotto. It's great. You can meet Michael Boris. Yeah. Like, I mean, just look for the hair. I, I love talking during mass too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you could only pick one though, go to St. Joseph Oratory. I would, I would agree with that point. I think the preaching is better at, at, at St. Joseph Oratory for sure. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, the, and the thing about the oratory too, I'm, I'm seeing is that 
they too are they're kind of opening their doors too. Like you hear about um trying to think what that event was. Well just was recently like, they had a community outreach to I mean, not members of the parish, no. but they had a, a meal for them and gave them all free turkey vouchers for Thanksgiving. I oh, mean wow. just just getting people in the local community kind of back on their feet. Yeah. Like so I mean, if you want a model of outreach, like they they're doing a great job. Oh, while well, you're waiting in a food line, he offers to get you drinks, the cannon. That oh, is the peak. Well, of, we went to an Oktoberfest, and it was, yeah, again, these, these cannons were run off their feet, and they're still doing their full divine office, the old form, every day. Yeah, um, they're spending hours in prayer. Yeah, so, I mean... God's a master of time, though. If you yeah. if you're given him and if you give him time, he'll he'll make it happen too. But uh, yeah, it is something to behold. And well, I mean, even too, like I was thinking, the other event that they had, it's like Bike Fest or something like that. I can't remember what it was called. Where, you know, there's like a bike uh, tour around the city, and you know they would open in the the doors and give tours and invite people to come to mass and things like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I don't want to say it all comes down to the priests, but I mean, I mean, a lot of it does. I, our priests are just spread too thin, especially in this diocese. I mean, it's it's tough for them. I don't blame it on them, but no. and and then going together with everything else we just said. I mean, our masses are in the afternoon. They're on the outskirts of town. They're actually in a different city because we're not really than the, than the main city than yeah. the main city of our diocese. So I mean, you know, we're we're kind of working, we're kind of paddling upstream here. So like where our diocese is at, just a quick question on the fly. Would you guys prefer that like cuz I'm having this problem myself. I've been yelling at seminarians lately. Would you prefer that like we like bankrupted our diocese and stopped all seminarians from going or would you want to like build the diocese from where we're at? Or would you just totally want to like flop it and then like like burn the chancery office down. I didn't say that. Oh, erase that. And uh, and uh, and then you know, and then like start from scratch. Like, where? How do you guys feel about this? I know how I feel about it, but like, where are you guys on this? Well, I d- I don't want to say I have like I I think I would have to claim too much foresight to say which one of those would work better. I mean, obviously we want, but like we just have to start doing something. I'm getting so tired of this huh? like. Not doing anything. So, like, if you're going to, you know, like, if tomorrow you're going to, like, you come across, like, a fork in the road saying, like, oh, I have to choose one or the other. Which one would you choose? That was something that I did want to mention. Um, this better be with the podcast. That, this, yes, it was. It, this was the thing that I was talking about before that I was trying to remember. Burning down the Chancery Office? No. Okay, go so, on. So, <laughs> did you hear about the recent com- combining of the two dioceses? Which one? Um, Moussigny and Hearst. Um, that was just done in, it's Canadian. It's two Canadian dioceses. I don't that, care. Anyway, go on. Anyway, so <laughs> incredibly, incredibly tiny numbers as, yeah. a, as dioceses, okay? Like they, I think the ones got like. Like below 100,000? Oh, easily. Okay, below 50,000. Well below it. Like I think, it's, I think it's well below like. 200? 20,000. Two, okay. Um. Anyway, where's so, oh Moussini? Oh, that's up. That's like at the end of the railroad. Go on. It's a very romantic place to be. The end of the railroad. <laughs> Go on. Okay. Anyway, so on Facebook, you know, people are talking about this fact, and people are like, especially in London, are saying, should we like why why would they combine that diocese, um, and then like look at our diocese, how big it is, and, like, why would we not do the same for, like, 
why wouldn't we make Windsor its own diocese with its twenty or two hundred thousand Catholics and give us, you know? Oh, just when you're looking at the size, like yeah. why have we not split when we're like five times the size of Moosini? Yeah, we, yeah, we should. You know, and it seems I, that way. I think I think Taylor Marshall did a good um, talk about no, he the, didn't. the uh, but yes. he is dreaming. <laughs> well, on. he gave a really good talk on um, on auxiliary bishops and the fact that they're kind of a non thing. Yeah. And I I think that is my would be at least my first step in kind of repairing the diocese is stop spreading our bishops so incredibly. Thin. I've seen my bishop once. And yeah, I agree. He's, and he's supposed to be doing all confirmations. Yeah. All confirmations. It's really bizarre. Kind of where we're at. That's funny. Yeah. And actually, I've heard the schemiest guy I know say, like, why they do parish clusters is so they can keep the power in, like, the oldest people. Like, so he, he thought it would have been malicious. I don't know if it's malicious or if it's just what you have to do. But I don't know. You saying we should break up? I'm, I'm, I, I think I think Windsor should be its own diocese. I mean, I've, I've heard a few people talking about this recently the idea that. These mega dioceses are just, they're, they're too big for any true, uh, I'm going to use a very recent, uh, trendy word for so any true, no, desire? any true pastoral, pastoral initiatives. Like, I mean, yeah. the bishop is too far removed from all bishop, the priests. Butler's Lives of the Saints bishops used to like walk barefoot. Okay. He didn't, but he walked, I think he, was it? Anyway, he would walk to every parish once a year. Mm-hmm. That's nice. That sounds nice. I'm, yeah. Sorry, but he could do that, right? I mean, it wouldn't be well feasible in a in the London diocese given I, the number of parishes. How many parishes? Like we're at three hundred. Oh, we're more than that. Are we more than that? Oh, well, yeah. are you talking about London itself? No, no. 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 <laughs> uh, well, whatever. Yeah, it may split it up so you can have the your bishop go. Yeah, it'd be nice to like have a relationship with your like apostle. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. Like, it's hard to be a father when you're so spread. And that's the thing that Taylor Marshall was saying too. That these these incredibly big mega dioceses Where did breed pedophiles and and pederasts mm-hmm. because Whoa. there's no bish- there's no bishops well, to sure that keep tabs. Well, it was why. also too easy to shuffle people around too, right? Uh, like, I, d- I don't think it helped the situation. Although it's not going to happen. I mean, think of all these recent discussions of synodality and concentrating power in bishops' conferences. I mean, yeah, we, that is the com- a conversation we need to have. Where on did, the next podcast. But wait, where did the mega diocese come from? I don't even. I actually don't know. Well, I mean, I don't. I actually don't know the history. It'd be interesting the history of our area. Yeah, I don't we should, probably should have looked into well, this like, before we started the, talking. About it. The seat used to be in Windsor, right? So, and it was a huge area. It probably just never got wasn't, cut down. Wasn't it at Assumption? Yeah, Assumption. Yeah, Parish. Yeah, Assumption Parish used to be our cathedral. Oh, do that. Yeah. Beautiful church. I hear it's getting saved. I Is that? I don't know. We should, probably shouldn't say that, but I think so. Yeah, that's that the last I heard, too. That's oh, kind of fun. It's a very old parish. You want to swing over onto usury? Yeah, let's talk about usury. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Okay, so, no, we're going we're gonna to do this clean, and we're going to do this well. This is a very difficult topic. Basically, so me and Matt... It's not that difficult of a topic. Okay, it was difficult for me. So, this all stemmed from... Getting way over ahead in topics, basically. Uh, listening to what was the, it was called? Why do Catholics vote Democrat against Catholic socialism? Uh, podcast, Timothy Gordon and Dr. Taylor Marshall. And this kind of stemmed into like, they, the only issue we had with this was their critique of distributionism, which just didn't seem right. And then we started getting into usury. We started like, I don't even know what capital, capitalism is. So we looked up the definition of that. 
basically, I guess long story short, though, this topic is way too large for any like uneducated layperson to really delve into. That's what we came across. But we did find out a couple of things. The first one being usury. I was going off the Belloc usury standard. Okay. Well, first, like, first, can we begin by saying why why this conversation that Tim Gordon, Timothy Gordon, and, and Dr. Taylor Marshall had, why it set you guys off so much? It set, oh my goodness. So I was actually thinking about this. I have this strong emotional anger reaction. This like this, this, okay, I have this against, for some reason, this podcast. Is it because So I was in the so confessional dreaming? a couple, it is because you so dream. You know what? That's part of the problem. And I, do you want to hear, okay, here we go. So I was in the confessional a month or two ago, and I was talking to the father, and I was like, you know, I, I have like this attachment to anger that I never, like, I just realized that I have, and it's way too much part of my life. And he gave, you know, finished confession. But like, one of the things he said is like, you need to go to mental prayer. And I was like, oh, shoot. And he's like, you need to go to mental prayer and think back like the first couple of times you were really angry. And then you need to like, kind of deal, like, you know, just remember why you got angry and deal with that of your life. And it's funny because I was like, all right, that's like the last thing I wanted to do. But, and I never really did it well, but I did end up doing a little bit. And I thought, you know, the first time I was angry was when some friends of mine lied to me because they wanted some booze. And, you know, this is a very dense emotional thing. But, like, to really unpack that, like, a large part of my life in the anger is just from people who 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 owed it to me to tell me the truth, and they didn't. Because, like, there's a sense of, like, injustice. And it's, that's just Dr. Taylor Marshall shouldn't lie. And he shouldn't spread misinformation. Now, like, do I actually care in this instance? No, but... Uh, but you did. Oh, I did. Okay, no, I... Okay, <laughs> but, like, intellectually, if you're like, Aaron, do you actually care about this? I'd say no. This is just actually opening up a bigger wound about, like, you know, my own family or the diocese or the church in general. Like, which is, like, yeah, the reason we're all trads, like, I'm very hurt. Like, the church, the state of the church, I guess you can joke about it, but it actually, like, horribly wounds me. That's why I have to joke about it. So, like... This Dr. Taylor Marshall, like, people, like, kind of see him as, like, this orthodox beacon. And, like, I actually don't care about distributionism at all. Like, it's an economic system that can never be implemented. But the fact that he would lie about it when he has a duty to speak the truth. Oh, we're going to, okay, and we're going to talk about why he lied about it very shortly. But just, this is when people are, like, why are you so angry about this, Aaron? I'm, like, because he's a handsome guy, and his name's Doctor, and he should be speaking the truth. So he's kind of the anti Boris. Like he's like uh, he, he is the anti. <laughs> like his hair is nice. His hair is nice. He's got he's got a gorgeous wife. Oh my! Does he? Oh, he's got eight kids and yeah. blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Taylor Marshall. All right, on to the podcast. The only issue we really had with it, I'm saying we because Matt, I need Matt's help here, was basically his definition of distributionism, which I'm now going to call the proprietary state. Matt, Def- define well. Define the proprietary state. Yeah, Yeah, so, I mean, take this source for what you will, but Wikipedia, like it or not, a lot of us use it, and it describes distributism as an economic ideology asserting that the world's productive assets should be widely owned rather than concentrated. And you know what? We actually, we were looking up, yeah, the definition of capitalism, and and I think distributism could fit under that. Like capitalism is an economic system where uh, ownership of productive property is in private hands. It has different principles than distributism. Namely, capitalism focuses on like acquiring more capital. And some of its principles include, especially in America, things like the free market. But 
I mean, that is ultimately what distributism is as well. Productive property is in private hands. It's just insured to be in private what, hands. What does that look like? What does that look like? It looks like... Why should I know? I don't know. Uh, I mean, so part of... Like, you've been interested in the writings of Bellick and Chesterton on this. Were, were they the main guys who really kind of put a name to it? They put a name to it. I, it's it's the economic system that existed somewhat in the medieval times, or at least they they tried to say how it would work, how how it would work, kind of in an academic way. Does it like when property? So like the means of distribution or the means of production. Sorry, when like the general population has the means of production, basically meaning everyone has access to producing some sort of good, one or another: shirts, shoes, food grain does that make sense to you yeah. and like do you understand how we don't have that now though like yeah so like like right, like right, right now, right like, now could you make like, anything could i make anything a podcast a podcast i could make a a mean crunch wrap supreme crunch wrap taco yeah okay but like anything that you know you could support your family with crunch wrap supreme <laughs> <laughs> so like yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. I can make reservations like a boss. Well, okay, yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> Where do we go from this? Okay, so <laughs> but anyway, that like right. So you can make you can make enough of something to support your family, which really doesn't exist now except through wage slavery. Well, I guess if if we're going to use podcast as the example, I suppose as a, a caricature of the two systems, if the podcast was enough to maintain your family under distributism. We're looking at you, Taylor Marshall. Yeah, right. you, you'd, you'd be happy with that. And you, you wouldn't really have to expand beyond that. Whereas at least capitalism, the way it's implemented now, I'm not saying we, you condemn capitalism in general, but the way it's implemented, especially in America, you wouldn't be happy with your one podcast. You'd see the, the possibility for profit. So you'd, you'd start getting little franchise podcasts and you'd start getting people mm. to kind of pay into your main podcast and then you'd start taking over other podcast markets. Just, you know, I'm not saying there's a, is there anything immoral about that? Well, yes. I think at a certain level it would get to be immoral. And then the, you, the next thing you know, you wake up in your Walmart. The, oh, the clear cut is, is like, is America now. That's free market capitalism. And a proprietary state is Hobbiton in The Lord of the Rings. If you read The Lord of the Rings, he actually designed, Tolkien designed Hobbiton to be like a perfect medieval, like what he thought a perfect medieval thing was. Is that realistic? I have no idea. Yeah. No. Why no. Not? Well, I, I, no, oh, we now. couldn't go back we to it go now. Back. So I think that's what a lot of people get caught up on in distributism is how would we get there from where we are right now? Okay. You know, that so would look you, like you, totalitarianism. You would, so would, you would need almost an apocalypse. If you, exactly. Or yeah. if you, like, enforced it totalitarianly, like, with the government. But, but, wait a minute. I was going to say something. Like, we couldn't, yeah, we, we couldn't get back to that with, like Chris said, either a major disaster that we just have to replace our entire current economic system um, or, but it, all, our main, my main problem, I think Aaron's as well, was that, you know, to conflate distributism with socialism, that was what a lot of the criticism came from, that distributism is bad because socialism is wrong. Well, I'm sorry, they're, they're not the same thing. And this was, and this was what Taylor Marshall said. That's Taylor what Taylor Marshall was saying. He said he, he equated distributism with socialism. And again, they had arguments behind it, but I don't think they gave distributism a fair representation a fair representation you know and i think like a more fundamental point which would be fun to talk about for 
five seconds is our states allowed to interfere with economic systems and like the, yeah our states allowed to interfere with economic systems and free market capitalists and like pretty much all americans would say no whereas i think as catholics you um you have a duty to say yes the state should should govern the economic system and it's really interesting if you read belloc's restoration of property he goes along he gives seven reasons why like free market capitalism concentrates wealth into like few business owners hands and they're actually pretty good reasons it's just if you give the book a good read through it's a really short book just basically saying actually and the main thrust of his point was free market capitalism leads to basically the same thing as socialism because it keeps concentrating wealth where into like very few hands whereas socialism just concentrates wealth into the government's hands I don't think it inevitably leads to that, but in practice, it seems to do that. You know, yeah, but yeah, has there been anywhere where it hasn't? That's like socialism, mm-hmm. like people who are like, oh, socialist just said it hasn't been implemented hasn't well. Been it's sure. like, actually. Oh, no, we're in a fallen world. Yeah, I, I recognize that. Yeah. No so, system is going to be perfect. Actually, and that's, okay, one of my big beefs with the proprietary state is like, we're in a fallen world, so it spreads power far and wide. So like, no one can be so powerful enough to become like an Amazon or an Apple. But the problem now with implementing the proprietary state is that, like, let's say if in Canada you tried to implement it, I feel like China or America would just, like, take you over immediately. You know, you try to, like, distribute wealth. You wouldn't be able to afford your, your huge standing army anymore. You would just be kind of like every other state is a socialist or capitalistic state, and you'd just be taken over. So, like, it is... Again, so it's more... It's kind of academic at this point and at this state of the world, but... Maybe after the triumph of Our Lady's Immaculate Heart, oh, yeah. we'll get to give it a shot. Yeah, the big fall. But that's what proprietary state is just naturally what would happen, right? Like I like if the world like if everything fell down outside, we'd step outside, and Chris would be like, oh, "I can make shoes. I'm just going to do that, right?" And then I'd be like, "Well, I'm going to go build a mill." And Matt, Matt, I don't know, he'd be a, happy. He'd, like, he'd be are a you doctor. sick? I'll fix you. Yeah. So like everyone would just like fall naturally, whereas now everyone falls kind of into like whatever makes them the most amount of money. But like, it's true. Like, wait, yeah. I do want to say for any medievalists listening to this, I mean, medieval, their economic system wasn't pure distributive distributivism either. Well, I mean, feudalism. So that I mean, feudalism was a, a huge aspect of the Middle Ages, where you know you did have lords and you had people under them using their productive property again they had access to that productive their rent property. was substantially less than of than course ours yeah is now, but it's not a pure distributist that's system either that's true okay so, yeah that's true so so belloc's system was like a feudal system but like with all the land to the people instead of to lords like for the most part yeah and you know hearing it hearing it described that loud, i can see why people get uneasy with it i still think it is more in tune with the nature of man especially our, our body soul concept it's not natural for us to be slaving away under these like, amazon the, roofs and walmart roofs the, under fluorescent lights and wage yeah. slaves and the proprietary state just sounds to me like if like you had a hundred thousand people walk into like a place that's never been like uh settled before like what they would just naturally do for the first little bit anyway like some people would be rich some people would be poor some people better some people worse but like everyone would kind of have their own thing like you'd just be like this is my little piece of land you rent out deeds proprietary state that like anyway we me and matt's arguing about this over the past week kind of on and off have just we've come to the conclusion that it's a ridiculously complex 
thing, like the any economic system. And like, but I think the things that we came to terms with was that it's okay. Well, is it okay for the civil state to enforce like economic sanction, like economic rules on its state? Again, that was that was one of the problems they had with the whole concept is. You know, now that stuff, now that property is in private hands, can the state confiscate it? Well, I think okay, that's I an, no, no, no. Can they I regulate know. it and tax it. No, so I think that is an injustice for the state to take something. But distributism talks about how you would build up a system properly. Again, that's why it's a little bit of a pipe dream. But okay, is it is it appropriate for the state to have any role in that? I think so. Sure, sure. But okay, well, I suppose in Belloc's time, the state wasn't purely capitalist yet there were still people who owned like yeoman i don't even know how to pronounce that word i don't even know what that means actually but i assume it just means farmer well because bellick bellick wasn't living in in america at the time. yeah that's true but like what like just this this is just seems really simple this makes sense had a, um, a motor bus company in the country he would say i'd put a cumulative tax clapped onto the ownership of more than a few vehicles licensed for country transport a tax becoming high half a dozen vehicles and prohibitive at a dozen we should have continued the small property. Uh, okay, anyway. So basically saying, like, once your company gets to a certain level, it's taxed so much that it can't grow anymore. Actually, probably a lot of Americans would have a problem with that. Especially in the form of a tax. Especially in the form of a tax. We can't handle tax. We can't handle tax. Maybe we're too used to tax. Yeah, we're, 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 we're so used to tax. What are we, like, overall, like, 64% taxed? Oh, once you include, you know, sales taxes and taxes on... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but we're not taxed on food. Oh, but we have free health care, too. Yeah. Oh, wait, that, no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, that's we came across, yeah, distributionism. It's such a Pandora's box to open up. It's ridiculous to start thinking about. But at least, Chris, do you know what it means? I, I at least understand it better than I did before. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I can see why it's not socialism. Right, because in socialism, the capital and the productive property is in the government's government's hands. Now, again, their argument is that if the government can confiscate and redistribute private property, then technically it's in the government's hand anyway. But we're not. Belloc never said he would. We're not talking about a redistribution. He was just like prohibitive taxes or like measures, like policies, policies that made it. What? Like they did that in medieval times. Like custom would be like there'd be all sorts of things just saying why like someone couldn't just walk all over some peasant. Like, what's, what's different from that from now, right? You can't just, like, come take some peasant's farmland just because you want it. Right. What's the difference? But but my free market. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> America. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's the thing. So should we can talk about should, usury. But we get, You should get your iced tea here and then iced tea to go. That's the free market. That's the free market. <laughs> that's the pinnacle <laughs> of the free market. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should save usury for another time. Oh my yeah. God. That's yeah. another, talk about another Pandora's box. Uh, just opening it up. I had my worldview changed over usury after talking to Matt and his stupid little like droopy, pathetic Slavic eyes just being like, oh, I don't, I don't even know what he said. But anyway, I had a little panic attack about usury. Apparently... It's not allowed. Where did you take all of your information from? What What is that book that you have in front of you? An essay on the restoration of property by Hilary Belloc. And then Wikipedia. That's basically it. It took about like two hours. Economics for Helen. Oh, Economics for Helen. Oh, that's where we learned about usury. Oh, just Belloc. So Economics for Helen is by Belloc as well? No. Okay. I don't know why it's called that. But do you recommend both books? I recommend Economics for Helen. Except the usury, the last chapter on usury... Because I found out that it's false. Like, he 
we need to talk about user in another podcast. Not like, totally fucked. Well, yeah, that's wait, that's you, a subject. Are you saying that Hilaire Belloc lied? I think so. And I think and so. Like, what an injustice that would be to make such a mistake. At, like, okay. If you're going to teach it, we can get to this now if you want. I, because I can defend Bella. Well, we're not getting into this. I'm being, no. getting, getting the head shake, but we'll get into it. All but. right. We'll save it for next week. We'll save it for next week. Do you think Bows? For sure. I just want to say thanks very much, gentlemen, for, for joining us on this podcast. We hope to do this again in the future, for sure. Follow us on Spotify, on iTunes, on wherever you find great podcasts. And, uh, yeah, do you have any other final words you guys want to give? I was going to say, I don't think Mary and Joseph really touched ever. But... <laughs> 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 uh, for those of you who listen to our pilot episode, you'll understand that. <laughs> can just edit that out. I have no idea. No, I have nothing to say. Although that was, yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, very much for listening. Nighty-night, babies.